If you will stand, we are reading from John chapter 11, verses 17 through 45, starting with verse 17. Now, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never even, never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was to come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. I imagine she ran. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Don't you get the feeling the sisters have been saying this to one another a bit. Now, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Not just a little crying, for the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? There's always a few in every crowd. Except this one. Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the practical one, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Then Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let it go. And many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Now we have been going over the different encounters with Jesus. We have had Nicodemus, 
coming at midnight in the darkness, coming into the light. We've had the woman at the well whom he actually said, I am the Messiah, and she became an evangelist to her people, even though she was a woman of a scandalous reputation. And last week, the blind man on the road. He was healed and couldn't even be happy about it because everybody was, who healed you? Why did he heal you on the Sabbath? And he came to be a disciple of Jesus, if you'll read the subtext. Now, here's the thing. These are all three people who are very central to this story, and Lazarus is central to this story, but Lazarus is dead, so he doesn't get much of a part until the end. Obviously the most important part, because this is the last of the seven great signs in John. This one says, yes, Jesus has power over life and death. So kind of the low-hanging fruit of interpretation would be, Christ brings us from death to new life, because there it is. You see this happening with, with Lazarus. But here, Lazarus is... The person that is having himself raised, but he is the reason that Jesus has this encounter with the other. So this is a little different because in a way, I think we have a window into the heart, not only of the people there, but the heart of Jesus as well. And these others that were here and were mourning, Jesus Martha, Mary, and possibly Lazarus in happier times. Now, I'm going to go back and pull in those extra 16 verses. I want you to notice something with these. It's all right, I'm going to read it from here so I can keep up and point out. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is a Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Notice this, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Let's keep going. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Now he's going to die, but be raised again. That's what Jesus is meaning here, even though the disciples don't know it yet. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So again, if you haven't gotten it, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, here's the thing. Twice it is mentioned that Jesus loved these people. Have you ever had that set of friends or maybe that couple that as a couple you like to spend times with where they just being together is restorative to you? That this is somewhere you go, you relax, you recharge, it feels like home because these people are there. I mean, hopefully we have that kind of experience. You almost get the impression that this home was where Jesus could go to recharge. His actual family were sometimes with him, sometimes, oh son, you're going to get yourself killed, come back home, stop doing this. But these were the people who were the family that believed in what he was doing. And one of them was sick, eventually unto death, eventually back unto life. Now, that was one group that was there. This is a family that Jesus loved. The disciples were also there. 
But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus replied, again, remember in John, darkness and light. There are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Darkness, okay? But now I will go and wake him up. And by the way, not just him. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was actually asleep, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. And long story short, then they're saying, oh, well, okay, he's dead, but we're going anyway. And Thomas, such a rock of fate, says, I guess we go and die with him. The disciples were... Unfortunately, as usual, and we think we do so much better, but they were clueless in a way. Oh, if he's sleeping, he's better. They were also fearful, but that's a dangerous area, Lord. They totally seem to miss the whole darkness and light point yet again. Jesus is going to bring life from death. They assume that he's leading them all to die. Now back at the site, at the house at Bethany. By the way, I, I love this image. I know some of you can't see it, but one of the things is you'll notice Mary, Martha, there's Lazarus coming out, and there's this one guy next to the door with his nose held because he's expecting that really bad smell. I don't know who did this, but the iconography here is wonderful. It tells the story in the image. But Martha, of course, Martha is the first one because she, if you remember your stories of Mary and Martha, she is the responsible one. She's the busy one. She's the one who some of you say, oh, I need to be more like Mary and less like Martha because I'm always so busy. But she, even though she was full of sorrow, was full of faith. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah. Now, why does Peter get so much credit for that? We should be giving Martha credit as well. And how about the woman at the well for being the first evangelist? Mary comes next. She is the student of Jesus. Remember Luke 10, 39? Talking about Mary and Martha. She, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. That had a very specific meaning at that time. It meant, if you remember Paul said he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the foremost teacher of Judaism at his time. The phrase sat at the feet of meant studied under. That's the same type phrase we use today. Well, he studied under so-and-so. Saying this, Mary sat at the Lord's feet meant she was studying under Jesus. Now this made no sense back then because she's just wasting her time. No one's going to listen to a woman teacher, are they? So she was the one who said, okay, I'm going to break through the social convention and I'm going to do what my heart tells me to. But this time she's not just sitting at Jesus' feet, she is falling at His feet. in sorrow, but also in faith. And there were the other people 
at the graveside, at the house, at the place of mourning. Because back then, funerals were a big deal. It was such a big deal, for instance, if you were a very rich man. Let's say you were a tax collector. You think we hate taxes now. Back then, the tax collectors, they would they would tell you how much you owed in taxes, and you knew that that guy was cheating you because he wasn't that rich until he got into politics. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Nobody liked you. So in your will, whenever you died, you set aside a certain amount of money to hire, I kid you not, professional mourners to come and weep and wail at your death. Funerals were a big deal back then. Now, these were probably not professional mourners. You didn't get the idea that Lazarus and Mary and Martha had a ton of money, and you get the feeling that they were well-liked just because of their natures. But these people at the tomb had enough distance from the grief to be kind of thinking of other things like, he really loved him, didn't he? And then the person next to him, yeah, but he should have gotten here sooner. Could have saved him, couldn't he? The picture that this paints is one that should be familiar to all of us. You've been to a funeral, haven't you? Because here you have everyone from those torn apart by the grief to those who are there and a little distracted, maybe intentionally distracted to keep it from being too real because they don't want to, they've had enough of that. (sighs) Typical reactions of people to death. So now the question then becomes, all right, but what's different at this funeral is we know God's there every time, but this time God is there in the flesh in Christ. So how is God reacting at this funeral? And the first thing that should jump out to you as strange is that Jesus was angry. It says it twice. He was angry, he was crying, and he was angry and deeply troubled. Now, the sort of the old-timey interpretation of this was that Jesus was angry, then sorrowful, because he looked around and he saw everybody crying when he was there and they shouldn't have been crying because he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead anyway. I even remember a song that kind of got to me because it said, quote, Jesus wept for their faith or lack thereof. But here's the thing. He had told the disciples and he had told Mary and Martha that Lazarus would rise. But all of the other people wailing and weeping had no clue. And it said he looked around at all of them and saw all the sorrow and all the all the crying. Verse 33, when he saw her weeping, Mary, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. So it looks very much like he's angry at the sorrow that death has caused in the midst. And then in that powerful verse, which in many translations is only two words, 
Jesus wept. And this was serious weeping. It wasn't just the noble tear down the side. Because the people who were standing nearby, those weeping and wailing, were, oh wow, he really loved them. Look at how he's weeping. And don't forget that this was happening on the way to the tomb. Now let me ask you, have you ever been or seen someone who is so angry they're crying and they're walking over to do something about it? Have you ever seen that? Now take that and put it with your image of Christ at this funeral. Now, Jesus' intention, we know for the disciples, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will believe. For the mourners, they roll the stone aside. Then, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Now, here we do see how faith comes into play, but it is going to be the result of what Jesus does. There is a reason here that Lazarus has been allowed to die. There is a reason for the heartache. And in our minds, sometimes we might think, well, God knows the reason and it's, it, it's okay. I shouldn't cry. But here's God himself knowing the reason, him standing here in the flesh and he is broken hearted. He is angry because of the presence of death and he is weeping. And not only that, but this is twice Jesus says, I'm not there, but I'm glad I'm not there for your sakes. He says this twice. It feels just a little bit like, you know what I would do, or maybe you would do if you were trying to remind yourself that this was the right thing to do, even though it was breaking your heart. Have you ever done that? I mean, you've had that experience, right, of thinking, no, this is the right thing to do as the tears are streaming down your face. And at this point, the climax of the story, death, is reversed at the command of Christ. Jesus just tells Lazarus to come out and the dead hears and obeys and rises, didn't put his hand on him or anything. So Jesus has indeed brought from death life. And I know that's the climax, but still my heart wants to linger at that moment before. At the heart of God at that funeral. And maybe it's because I've been to a lot of funerals. I've been at the event of many who have passed. And I have heard people trying to make sense of the loss and of the parting. And I've heard many reasons that are floated, and some of them are very good, some of them not so much. But the reason for the reasons is to try to make the heartache a little less. Although I will tell you, please, 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 please be very careful In my experience, it is very rare that the parents of the child who have passed have wanted to hear, I guess God needed another angel in heaven. Please be careful. 
And please remember Christ and how he was at the funeral. When I'm at a funeral, I've done my best to bring what comfort I can, but I have to confess that deep down, that part of me that I do not show, I'm angry. I'm angry at the parting. I'm angry at people feeling their hearts rent in two. And the closer I am to the situation, the more angry I am. I remember whenever my dad passed away and I was doing my best to be the pastor in the midst of it. Then I had to run outside and yell and scream and punch and kick the tree. Yes, it kind of hurt, but I didn't care. Because there is that feeling inside that, no, this is not the way it should be. This should not be happening. We should not have our hearts rent into this way. There should not be this hole in our lives. And here, finally, I believe, is the point, at least the one God laid on my heart for today. God is not up in heaven dispassionately saying, okay, time for you to go. Oh, y'all get over it. You know you'll be together in heaven someday. Come on. When God is at the funeral, He is angry along with us. He sorrows for us and with us. Even when the reason might be obvious for us to see. And it hurts Him so much that He gave His only Son to be killed and to endure death so that this will not forever continue and one day it will all be undone. And I guess the whole thing that I'm trying to get to is that Jesus weeps with us. He's the one there with us. He's tears streaming down his face who says I know I have been there whatever the loss of the moment is whatever it is that is tearing your heart asunder not just loss and death but the the trouble that you find yourself in at the moment that has brought you to tears but there's one thing that I did not put in the outline. I wanted to save it just for us all to think and see. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 7, 17. In other words, this same one who was angry at death's parting, who cried at the funeral, who brought the dead back to life, will be the one who will be our shepherd and say, that's enough of that. No more. No more of this parting. No more of this sorrow. No more. Now is the time of reunion.
Now is the time of restoration. Now is the time of joy. That is partly what we are celebrating today. We are, as we come to the Lord's table, proclaiming the Lord's death until He returns. But we also, buried in this, proclaim that there is this mystery of life beyond death and that one day even the shadow of death will be gone away. Thanks be to God. Amen.